listen to the Cosmopolitan Hour. Hey, I'm somebody from the room, see the room 100 times, and you're listening, Cosmopolitan Hour, whatever you're listening, they listen well, okay? I'm Tommy Wiseau, have a groovy time, bye. I'm gonna be like annoying probably drinking this because I'm not very good at drinking out of cans. Well, I'm probably gonna be equally annoying um, coughing up the death phlegm that's been rattling around in my lungs for the last week, even though I'm completely uh, well and hale and hearty, as they say. I I'm still have a nasty cough like a 90-year-old cocktail waitress. Me too. It's really annoying. <laughs> I've been like well now for like three weeks, and I'm still popping up chunks of mucus, and it's gross. <laughs> Here's to mucus. Hooray! Aww. That was a silent cheers, because yeah. you've got a can. I have a can. Sorry, listeners. I know that you really wanted to hear that. <laughs> I'll put in a sound effect. Okay, good. Um, I think our listeners should know that you're drinking a very unique, uh, special San Francisco beer. I am. It's a watermelon wheat beer. It is, and it is made by the 21st Amendment Brewery in San Francisco. And I've had the beer before. And it's and really good. Yes. What, what is your assessment of the beer? I, you know, I think I had a sip of yours when, when uh -huh. you had it. Um, th this is more watermelony than I remember it. Oh, really? But it's, uh, it's still really good. Like, it's not sweet. Yeah. It just tastes like watermelon. But it's a wheat beer. So I recommend it. I seem to remember it was like a like a crisp kind of thing, like like putting cucumbers in water or something. Yeah. It has a little crisp aftertaste. Yes, yes. I think that is a that is a totally fair assessment. Awesome. Listen to me talking about mouthfeel. I'm a gourmand. You are a gourmand. <laughs> I always knew. Deep down inside. So I think this is episode 66. I believe it is. Awesome. And we were away for a while because, uh, I don't know, dramatic things happened probably. So Did anything dramatic happen? I think that basically I got swooped up by a pterodactyl. Yeah. And we could record. <laughs> right. And I was stuck under a filing cabinet for a week. And How did you survive? What did you eat? I ate... Um, I'm embarrassed to say, um, dust mites. It's not very <laughs> vegan, but it's what I had you to do. You have very good survive. eyesight. I know. <laughs> I really do. I use chopsticks because there were chopsticks near the, uh, near the filing cabinet. So I used my extreme dexterity and my chopsticks to pick things, pick up dust mites and eat them. <laughs> Enough to sustain myself. Did you thank the spirit of the dust mite for giving its body for your nourishment? Um, you know, I didn't. I didn't feel that it was appropriate because I wasn't like slaughtering them in my backyard in the most caring possible way. That's true. Um, I was truly just eating them for sustenance because I had to. Wow. So there you go. It's the answer to the elusive. If you were stuck under a filing cabinet and all you had to eat was dust mites, what would you eat? Dust mites? Question. Now we know. Now we know. Wow. A vegan would eat dust mites. This will be like referenced, like yeah. like court cases are referenced, like in the uh, precedent-setting case of Jordan v. Filing Cabinets, it was proven definitively that vegans will eat dust mites if trapped. Yes. Yes. 
they can like cite it on Wikipedia, so next yeah. time people can just stop asking vegan funeral questions and just totally go right to Wikipedia and be like, oh yeah, yeah a awesome. vegan will eat dust mites if they're trapped under a filing cabinet. For yeah, them. and vegans can be all WTS or GTS, right? Because GTS will lead you to the W of WTS, right? Yes. So excellent. There you go. That's Our exciting live. <laughs> First, we have an email. Should we read our email? Yeah, let's read our email. Did you print it out again? I did. I'm a printing maniac. You are a printing maniac. So this is from somebody, I'm not even sure if she's listened to any episodes. She said she ran across our blog the other day. Oh. Which, and our blog is basically just the vehicle for getting the episodes online and streaming. We, we tend to not write so much on the blog, although occasionally I'll post a stupid picture or a, a stupid video that we made. <laughs> I think that um, this is spam. Yeah, it seems kind of spammy. I'm pretty sure this is spam, so should we read it? Um, sure, whatever. We don't have to. I, I think we should read it. Okay, and go for it. And then we can it. get our readers' opinions. And then oh, we yeah, can, yeah. We can give our... our um, our opinion back to this person. So, Christine. Right. Uh-huh. Hi, the Cosmopolitan Hour. <laughs> I bumped into your blog today and was wondering if I could get your opinion on a diet slash fitness app I am working on right now. Basically, the main problem with being fit and eating healthy is motivation and willpower. It's such an abstract goal that seems overwhelming. It seems the best way to counter this is to make it into smaller, winnable games. <laughs> so, my app makes living healthy, eating healthy, and fitness into an RPG game. RPG is role-playing game. So, RPG game is superfluous. Yes. Uh, where users earn points, level up, and earn badges as they accomplish their health goals. Every time they add something healthy, like a fruit, to their food log, they earn points. Every time they complete a workout, they earn points. As they achieve more and more, they'll level up and unlock badges. Of course, to appeal for people's need for achievements slash progress, I'm also adding charts and graphs to show their progress. I think people love that sort of stuff. The whole idea is to shift people's attitude towards healthy living as fun and enjoyable, and there's gonna be a web version for those that don't own smartphones. What's your opinion on this idea? Would you want to know when I'm done with it? And then there's an emoticon that means I don't know what. It means um, cute, appropriated anime face. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. And so, so what do you think, Erica? Do you think that this person who is developing an app making fitness and healthy eating into an RPG game and with a pin number and promoting it <laughs> via Bam. What do you think? Has she got a winner on her hands? Well, it doesn't sound particularly... Uh, it's not a, a particularly new idea. I would imagine there are quite a few apps already out there that accomplish that sort of and thing. Websites so, and websites. Yes, and websites. Um, like, what is it? Glow people. Spark people. Spark people. Like glow worms. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Right, glowworms, of course. That one. <laughs> She's gonna Christine Chu is gonna steal your soul? Name. My name. Okay. <laughs> you're gonna like search like next week for glowworms.com. And you're gonna see an app called Glowworms and it's gonna be 
a fitness and healthy eating RPG game. With a pin number. Don't right. forget that. <laughs> where's where's the pin number? Oh no, I just threw that in there because pin number is also super cool. Oh, right, I see. Thank you. <laughs> Feel free to throw in any others. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I appreciate you. <laughs> um, well, like I said, it sounds like there's a there's probably a lot a decent amount of that on the market now. So I guess my question would be what would distinguish this app from the others? And since she didn't really provide us with anything except for like a basic vague uh -huh. description, then it's hard for us to say. Um, yeah, I think it, it could potentially be a good idea, but um, you know, like anything, what's to, what's to keep people from putting in their app that they ate a peach when they really ate some french fries? Um, but assuming people do use it, yeah, people, assuming people do use it honestly, um, I got nothing against it so much. I guess uh, I, I would want to, um, I mean, like you said, it's, a, it's kind of a vague description, so I would probably need to know more about whether it encourages healthy eating, i.e. veganism, and um, whether it... Uh, contains a lot of enabling language for like uh, eating disorders and body dysmorphic disorders and that sort of thing. So um, with those two considerations addressed, I would tentatively throw my endorsement behind it. Well, for me, with a caveat that I really don't care about that sort of thing at all. My, my, uh, I'm, I'm going to use this as a segue to start to rant a little bit about oh. um, all right. the rampant health foodieism in veganism and how if you have the word vegan in your name or description or anything like that on social media or on your website or your blog or anything like that, you will get spammed by all these fucking yeah. healthy living, you know, tweeters and bloggers and apparently app developers and everything else. And I'm so sick of it. Like, I get all this crap on my Twitter feed from people who are like, you know, well, requests, because I don't, I don't let just anybody follow me on Twitter. Uh -huh. Those, like, 1.03 tweets a month are, uh, <laughs> they're protected. They're um, gold. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being healthy. There's nothing inherently wrong with being, like, you know, into health food and all that kind of stuff, but, like... I don't know. I find it very irksome that everybody just assumes that vegans are in it for like dieting and health reasons. And not that there's anything wrong for being in it for health, but I don't know. It's very irksome. I don't like it. So I resent you, Christine <laughs> Chu. Whoa, harsh words there. Whatever, she's what if spamming she's, us. What if she's, what if it's not actually spam? What if she's like, I really, I love your show and after discovering your blog yesterday, I quickly listen to all 65 episodes Then of she would have called us Erica and Jordan, not Hive the uh, Cosmopolitan Hour. And thus, you have sussed out yes. the spammer. Yes, I'm spammer. Yes. Spam by sus. I think that this is like oddly personal spam. Yeah. You know. She's probably, she's, she's probably pro like called a bunch of like vegan slash healthy slash diet slash whatever blogs and then just sent a mass email to a bunch of people. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm that's I'm so, sure that that's what she yeah. did. So I, I imagine that Christine Chu is, is a real person. Right. Unlike Robert from Google who called me today, who was in, in fact <laughs> a robot. Robert the robot. Who has been programmed to um, 
sort of stutter and say um and speak like a normal human being would so you don't realize into for like the first 10 seconds that it's a recording right tricky bastards google there if google ever like perfects like ai and the world is <laughs> doomed yeah we're just gonna die that's it that's all we'll all be killed by telemarketers it's true or we'll be like totally perfectly oppressed yes. until something goes catastrophically wrong <laughs> and then we'll like break free and... yeah and then it will be made into a movie starring Dolph Lundgren right but yeah it, remi it, it reminds me of this you know you know this this concern that um, a lot of feminists have and that I have that um, things to do with uh, motherhood or maternity or families or children are automatically feminist concerns or that they're automatically women's concerns. Right. Um, I mean, I think, I should, I should uh, rephrase that. They are, they can be feminist concerns. I don't think it's necessarily mutually exclusive, but they, you know, the assumption that they are automatically the concerns of all women because all women obviously care about children's issues and family issues and I, I can assure you that this woman really doesn't. So <laughs> you can be feminist and concerned with women's issues without necessarily being obsessed with children or family issues or you know anything like that and likewise you can be vegan without being obsessed with of food and granola. Which is certainly not a value judgment on people who are. No, I no. mean, that's fine. But it is just kind of annoying to be constantly assumed to be something that you are not. That lady is eating bonbons in the back of a car. She was lying resplendently in the back of a car eating bonbons and casually throwing litter out the window. What the hell? Yeah. Rude. Not cool. What the hell? My super endless well of piss and vinegar is the um, the rash of false lesbian bloggers that are being unmasked as straight married men. What is going on? Of course, there's a gay girl in Damascus, right? And then. Where? Um, and that one is so crazy because that one's like, super crazy. I mean, I I don't know. That is just so fucked up on so many levels. It's not just like it's not just a straight man pretending to be a lesbian. It's like a straight white Western man right. pretending to be like a lesbian in like a you know a very different part of the world. Yes, that is less receptive to yes gay and, people and making up lies based on his sensationalist beliefs of, about the country. You know, he, he says he make, puts up a post that this blogger has been kidnapped by the government. And, you know, I, I'm i not going to say, like, you know, point blank that governments don't kidnap their own people because governments do some pretty shitty things. And I'm, I'm sure it's not beyond the reach of any government to do that kind of thing. But... You know, when you're a, a citizen in another country and you're saying, you're pretending to be somebody and, and saying that this person has been arrested by her own government, that's a really, it's a really delicate line you're walking in. It's a really kind of fucked up accusation you're throwing at another government. No matter how warranted that accusation may in fact be, or no matter what kind of grounds you may consider, your, you know, no matter what other... I'm not really phrasing this correctly, but no matter what the possibility is, it's still a very 
tactless accusation well, out there. Not to mention that something like that, <laughs> I think, puts other people in danger because instead, exactly, of, then you've had this one. It's the boy who cried wolf. You've had one incident where you know somebody has come out and you know made all this outrage noise yeah. about this person who is supposedly kidnapped. So, and then that turns out to be a complete lie. Yeah. So then what happens? if somebody actually is kidnapped exactly. for political reasons. But the thing is, like, this hoax already did put people in actual danger because there were other, there were Syrians who thought she was a real person who risked their own safety to, you know, by appealing the government for her release and, you know, outing themselves as activists and revolutionaries. And there were, you know, uh, there were there were women that were flirting with this person online, thinking that right. this was another woman who had romantic interest in them. And this this straight married man carried on like an internet affair right. with a woman in Canada for like three years or something crazy like that. And and this this poor woman thought that she had like a long distance kind of like email relationship with a woman in Damascus. Right. And it was a complete lie. And I mean that to me, I mean, there was no, they never, obviously, they never physically met. There wasn't any, like, actual sexual intercourse. But there was obviously emotional involvement. And I feel like that is, you know, like, obviously the, the word rape is a really strong term to throw around. But I feel like that's a form of emotional rape. Because it's lying about who you are. It's engaging this person in an emotional relationship. You know, just as, as you know, Pretending to be somebody else in order to have sex with somebody is still rape. Well, you know, if, if they believe, if they have sex with you under the pretense that they believe you're somebody else, that's that's rape. Sometimes. Um, <laughs> now we get into the legal aspect. Well, I mean, I I I would say both legally and. Morally, I mean, right. I think it. I think it depends. I, I would not characterize any a fraudulent email relationship oh. as emotional rape. I just. I, I know. It's just for lack of a better word. Like, right. I would, like I feel like it's it's a violation. I'll put it that yeah, way. Yeah, viol- it's an emotional violation. Yeah, totally. I think it's. I think it's a. I think it's a betrayal. You know, that somebody puts this this trust in you. And, you know, it's, you know, somebody whose own relationship came out of, you know, as online stuff. Like, I've, I know how easy, well, not how easy, I know how it is to be really invested in a relationship, like, yeah, an emotional relationship with somebody that you may not have had the opportunity to meet in person yet. Yeah. Um, and then you meet them and you get married to <laughs> So what would you have done if you stepped off the plane and Mike was really like a 65-year-old Mexican woman? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think better of myself than that I would have done something really mean and immature. But uh, I think I would have done something really mean and immature. But, But I mean, it would have been kind of, you know... 
it would have been deserved probably if somebody was going to carry on a three-year relationship with me and not be who they said. But like, I don't know. I just, I just think it's really fucked up that this happened, and I really oh just God, don't. Yeah. I can't. I mean, I think that I can sort of understand what is going on, like why that happened, but. I don't think, I can't really articulate it, you know, like I think, I guess it must just be some like white guys who think that they know better than the people who they're trying to represent, you know, like it just seems really paternalistic and like, well, if I was a lesbian writer, here's what I would do, you know. Well, actually, here's the thing. This is what's interesting about this. And... And we haven't mentioned yet, but in case, you know, any of our listeners haven't been following this story, like, after, I think I think it was the same day, but shortly after um, this big story about a gay girl in Damascus broke, it was revealed, actually, it might have been an older story, but it was just brought up, like, hey, this also happened, right. that there's um, an author of another lesbian blog called Les Get Real who is also unmasked as a straight white married man. That name for that blog should have been a big tip off. Yeah. That it was not an actual lesbian person. Because oh, I can't think of any lesbian person yeah. I know that would be like, yeah, I'm going to write a blog about being gay and all that and I'm going to call it Les Get Real. <laughs> Reporters were shocked when the author of the black feminist blog, You Go Girl, was yeah. unveiled as a white man. <laughs> um, anyway. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm hypnotized by this woman who kind of looks like a living troll person. Oh my goodness, she is a little troll. She's like part Bjork and part, I don't know, troll doll. Garbage pail kid? Yeah, I don't know. Sorry about your she's, life, lady. Yeah, she's not yeah. doing so well. Anyway, um, so yeah, the, but the the thing that I was gonna say is, what's so ironic about your take on that whole you know paternalism? Like I can say it better than any you know lesbian could. Is that both of these men who are you know unmasked as pretending to be lesbian bloggers? Yeah, cited their reasons as. They didn't feel that they would be taken seriously right. as straight men yeah. if they just posted as themselves. Which, to which I, you know, I consider that, and, you know, on a very basic level, like maybe to that first instinct or that first thought of, of that feeling, I can relate. Because I remember when I um, first applied for my. The job I ended up taking at the No on Bait campaign to save gay marriage in California, and I went for the interview, and um, I remember being really scared on my first day of work because I was worried that people would look at me and be like, "Oh, look at the straight girl; she's slumming it. She can go get married whenever she wants. She doesn't need to be here. She's just she's just here because she, you know, she likes hanging out with the gays. You know, well, fuck her." <laughs> um, <coughs> but. You know, I, you know, quick, obviously people were welcoming and friendly, but something I learned later in the campaign and repeatedly throughout the campaign was I had so many people tell me, I'm so grateful for you and for all of our straight allies because without our straight allies, we wouldn't have the numbers to get this done. And it's like, 
you know, I can I can understand that instinct like, oh, nobody's going to take me seriously on this right. issue because I don't come from uh, a personal history with this right. issue or right. a place of personal oppression with this issue. But you know what? Like, I can't think of a single social justice movement from animal rights to feminism to, you know, people of color movements. You know, I can't think of a single one that would not welcome the support and the privilege right. and the advantages of, the, of that privilege that people outside of that movement, that supporters from outside of the movement could bring. Right, and like, I think that that's the thing that really kind of hits a sour note for me. It was because, you know, like, sure, maybe, um, you know, maybe if you're trying to tell lesbians how to live their lives, yeah. you know, like if you're making posts like, you know, how to, I don't know, if you're if you're making posts on like kind of you know intrinsically and only like right. lesbian issues that you could not possibly have any kind of knowledge about, right, like, right. you know I can see how sure yeah you know a bull dyke is probably not going to be that interested in like a man telling her how to well, wax her bikini line, you know? Like, yeah. Sure. Fine. 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 Or like you know that kind of thing, but <laughs> but. It just, it's so offensive on so many levels to have oh, somebody who is, you know, in the most privileged class yeah. in the world yes. say that, you know, they can't, they felt oppressed by this, like, minority that, you know, is in the process of being actively oppressed by right. white males and other shitheads. Like, it's just, it's, and I don't really know how to combat that. Like, it's very, and I, like you, I guess I kind of understand the impulse sometimes. Because like I know there have been times when um, when I felt like, oh well you know, I don't have personal experiences, whatever, and so right. you know, should I speak up about it? And you know, there have been and and on, to be perfectly honest, like the way that some radical communities deal with, you know, people who aren't intrinsically members of their oppressed like interest group, right. uh, the way they deal with those people sometimes, it's really alienating. Yeah, you know? like I, I think about all the, the the argument that arose around the slut box thing. Right, that right, was right. a really good example. Like a lot of, apparently a lot of like, I don't know if actual sex workers so much, or if it was like people who do work with sex workers were coming forward and saying, well, it's shitty that you know more privileged women would be wearing you know the garb of the sex workers and everything like to make a political point. They're just slumming it and blah 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 blah. Right. Which I just think is so unhelpful. Like, right. Just, you know, I just, I really, I just don't see how that's offensive at all, really. But, um, you know, so I can see, I can see, you know, maybe feeling a little bit of uncertainty or trepidation about, like, entering yourself into the arena of yeah. like, kind of oppression politics and whatever. Right. Especially if you are, you know, from the least oppressed class yeah. in the world. But, I don't know, I mean, like you said, if no social justice movement has ever succeeded without the help of, you know, yeah. without the help of allies. Right, yeah. because I mean, like, you know, the lesbian population, if they're only advocating for themselves and they're... Yeah. Um, and lesbians are the only people who can like agitate for <laughs> lesbian rights or you know better treatments or whatever else. Then like the lesbians are in trouble because there are not <laughs> a lot of them. Well, look at look at the freedom marches and the freedom rights exactly. in, in the South. 
you know, they were, I mean, obviously they were a powerful movement for, for black Americans, but you have to admit they wouldn't have been as successful as they were without the help of white allies. Right, and it's not to be all like in the cause. Right, and it's not to be all like, oh, you know, you can't do anything without us. Yeah, (laughs) but but I mean, you need numbers, whether they're from, you know, wherever they're from, you do need numbers and you do need support, and and like social movements need to, you know, support each other. I mean, we've talked about about it before, how like all kind of civil, like civil rights, animal rights, gay rights, women's rights, all that kind of stuff is all. It's all an expression of the same thing. It's all an uh-huh. expression of resistance to oppression based yeah. on some arbitrary characteristic. Yeah. And it just, you know, those movements need to work together. Definitely. And I know that there's, you know, there's, there is a lot of infighting sometimes. I mean, think about yeah. like Dan Savage, the, <laughs> who I like agree with on almost everything. Yeah, except like for 99% of things. Except that, you know, whenever veganism or vegetarianism comes up, he has to, yeah. Kick at it like it's you know yeah. an abused puppy or something. I don't know. Yeah. But he, speaking of abused puppies, he doesn't view dogs as important and vital members of a family. No. So that's my other gripe against him. Right, and like you know, he he has a dog, <laughs> and I, I I gather from his podcasts and whatever that he does like the dog and that he you know I think I think that what he means generally is that you know. If you have to save the dog's life or your kid's life, and right. you think about saving the dog for your kid, then you might need to think about your priorities. <laughs> well, that's why I'm not having kids, because right. I know I would save the dog first. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. But, you know, it's just, it's, yeah, people need to work together to end oppression. And, you know, I, I, will, I would certainly not put any of the blame for these two men who are obviously complete and total asshats. I would not put any of the blame on like the lesbian community or oh, like, the queer community or anything like that. But I do think that it's like the, the bullshit rhetoric that they've been spouting can serve as a reminder to activist communities that we really we really do need to work on being inclusive. Yeah. I mean vegans are guilty of that as much as anybody else where yeah. we're kinda like, well True. you're just a health food vegan or whatever right. and write people off or you know, oh well you're just a vegetarian so you're not right. You know we need to be inclusive of people that we're gonna turn them off and then they're gonna start we're gonna have meat eaters writing vegan blogs. <laughs> getting outed as Anthony Bourdain or something oh like that. Oh my god, that would be hysterical actually. Oh I would want to read anything I'm going to start like a hardcore meat fan blog. It's right about how I ate like raw raw bacon last night. I actually, love that would be it. kind of hilarious. And then I'm outed as a vegan. That would be hysterical. We should do oh that. Oh my god. We should totally do that. We should like start a blog that's like the most like just like verbose like hipster bait bullshit foodie blog about meat. Maybe we can make it about like a particular niche type of meat. And we'll like just write about meat in this like in these ridiculous terms and we'll try and get people to like follow us and be into Oh my us. god, that would be And then after like six months or a year or something like that we'll be like, yeah we're vegan. After the totally vegan. Yeah. And all the dividends. Right, right. And uh, I was gonna say the Oprah spot that she's done now, so Tyra? Is Tyra still on the air? I would do Tyra. Who knows what Tyra's doing these days. Yeah, although I will not do jo- Judge Joe Brown. 
<laughs> I did get offered to take a small claims uh, case that I'm currently pursuing on Judge Joe Brown, the nationally syndicated court TV show, but I declined. It's too bad. I mean, if, if the if there hadn't been like such complicated kind of personal issues surrounding it, I would have said, go yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, my heart belongs to Judge Wapner of the People's yes. Court. I, I would do it if Wapner came out of retirement. Walk for life! <laughs> Walk. Wow. <laughs> Erica just did a gang sign for uh, Judge Wapner, just for the benefit of our listeners who couldn't see that. <laughs> I was going to say that, you know, that, that feeling of discomfort that I felt, you know, when I went to Noame, you know, just worried that I would be outed as the straight person, you know, and this feeling of discomfort that these two men apparently felt. You know what I think it is? Is it's the feeling of being in the minority for the first time. Yeah. Because you know I don't feel that sense of discomfort when I walk. Like if I'm at an office, for example, and I walk into a, a boardroom and it's full of men, that doesn't make me do a double take at all because that's normal in our society. But you know, like when I walk into, like when the straight girl walks into a room of, of gay or bi or trans people, like I'm definitely in a minority there, and I feel like, you know, it's and that's an odd experience. It is. Yeah. It's exactly. It's an odd experience. So it's funny, um, it's funny to be like. I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh no, no um, Being white women, like we have a we have a weird place in all of this. We do because you know, like we, on the one hand, we're both so used to so many to being in the minority yeah. in terms of being women even though we're not technically a minority anymore, yeah but like exactly. being in the oppressed <laughs> class or whatever whereas you know because we're white and because we're like western. straight and like western people then we're in the majority or in the you know in the kind of the privileged class in most other ways so it's weird to kind of have all of these things in your life where you've grown up and you remain just like really, I don't know, just there's, there are all these privileges that you are just so used to not having as a yeah, woman, exactly. but then there are all these other ones that you're so used to having as like a white person. But yeah, so it's weird, and it's like it's hard to kind of internally reconcile those things sometimes. Yeah. And I think I can kind of feel like the, the weird impulse that people get sometimes where it's like, you get, I don't know, you get kind of stuck in being one or the other and it's hard to yes. like look at yourself and recognize like where you're privileged and where you're not privileged. Yeah. You just see yourself as, as you know the unprivileged person and then you live every you live your life accordingly, which generally means like a lot of white people acting really entitled. Yeah, I think. I am not very articulate today. I don't think either of us I apologize to our listeners. I don't know what my problem is. I'm really tired. Like I said, I can understand that initial hesitation and that feeling of being in the minority in, in a sphere of life where you're used to being in the majority, where you're used to, to wielding the privilege. Right. And where you still do, but it's, you know, at least in that small circle, you know, it, your privilege doesn't count for shit. Right. But at the same time, you know... When these guys say, like, I was afraid nobody would take me seriously because I'm a straight guy, like, to a degree, you have to respect that. Right. Like, allies are welcome. And I, I 
I think, you know, if these guys had done blogs like, you know, I'm supportive of, of lesbians, I'm supportive of gay rights, and, you know, like this one guy, I'm supportive of, of the, the revolution in Syria. Right. I'm sure they would have had plenty of people appreciative of their support, despite their privilege. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you do have to acknowledge your privilege. You can't just disassociate yourself from your privilege by donning this mask of, like, the lesbian Syrian blogger. It's like he's writing from a, a position of privilege, and whether it's obvious or not, that's going to be reflected in his writing. Right. And to present that as the writing of somebody who is actually who he's purporting to be is is irresponsible and and it's misleading you know I mean obviously it's misleading but you know when you have that sort of privilege you just have to accept that to a certain degree you do have to just shut the fuck up yeah yeah absolutely I think that it's really sad because it shows like both these bloggers are really popular yeah you know and it's not like they had little blogs that nobody read and Whatever, like they had lots of readers. And I think that it's really sad that, um, you know, because the, then it puts out there that, like, you know, what is the, what are the popular lesbian blogs? Oh, well, they're the ones that happen to be written by straight males. You know, it's like people aren't interested in that voice unless it's filtered through, uh, like, a privileged position, which even, you know, even if you aren't really aware of that, like it's just—I think that's kind of disturbing. Like it is people, disturbing. Like, and it's—you know—I'm sure that there are plenty of you know lesbian-focused blogs out there that are written by actual lesbian people. But um, I mean, it must—I know that I'd be pissed off if I were a lesbian blogger and I was like, "Fuck that guy!" You know, like yeah. this guy. There's a guy who's like encroaching on my territory, and that's what people want to read. They want to yeah. read like. This, you know, the, the white man's, white straight man's take on yeah. my position. Like, why don't right. they want to read my take on my yeah. position? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, with with uh, gay girl in Damascus, unmasked as, uh, let me see, gay girl in Damascus is uh, outed as um, Tom McMaster, and Let's Get Real has been outed as uh, Bill Graver. Uh, there have been quite a few startling revelations about other women, other, uh, you know, and famous lesbians who are also men. Really? So I thought, you know, maybe we could just give a short list of them. Um, famous lesbians who are actually men? Yeah, well, famous feminists, okay. famous women who are actually men. Well, the most obvious one is probably uh, Gloria Steinem, who's obviously a man. Yeah. She um, she was revealed to be uh, a 50-year-old man from Tunisia last right. week. Um, all of her public appearances were made by uh, actors. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, um, Ellen DeGeneres. Yes. It turns out she is actually an 85-year-old man from China. Yes. Andrea Dworkin uh -huh. was revealed to actually be a man from, I don't know, where are they really, really bitter? <laughs> <laughs> I 
like a village now, where they hate women. Yeah. Saudi Arabia? Uh, no, because Andrea Jorkin was just like bitter and like fucked up, I think. I'm not an Andrea Dworkin fan. <laughs> I still have to read one of I, I have one of her books, but I haven't read it yet. Oh my god. Let me sum up Andrea Dworkin for you. All pornography is rape, and heterosexual sex is all rape, too. Okay. Good to know. Keep that in mind. Yes. <laughs> and don't paint your whore face, whore. <laughs> <laughs> Andrea Dworkin was actually revealed to be a um, a uh, 68-year-old oh, man from Colombia who is senile. Who is senile? Yes. Yes. They, and that's why they had. <laughs> that's why they had to kill off the character. Right. Because he started getting senile. It became evident in the work. Oh, oh my and God! Andrea Dworkin is so fucked up. I could just like talk shit about Andrea Dworkin for a long time. <laughs> She was, so she was like a lesbian woman who married a gay man, um, and which always really kind of pissed me off and struck me as really like hypocritical. Why? Well, I mean, if because she especially, you know, she uh, she ostensibly was fighting, you know, for women's rights and everything like that. She wanted women to be taken seriously. She wanted them to be treated as equals. Men, I think that to a lesser degree, you know, there's obviously some implicit, like, wanting for, like, lesbian women to have the same rights as well. And it just seems like kind of going and actively, like, you know, and getting involved in a sham straight marriage. So, like, taking advantage of all the privileges that, you know, you can be afforded by, like, right. latching yourself onto a man. And then, like, also, you know, like, putting yourself in a heterosexual partner situation when neither of you, that's not, like, your thing. I don't know. It just seemed, like, really dishonest. And, I mean, it's not like they were hiding it. It just seems, I don't know, it seems intellectually dishonest. And it just seems kind of, like, I don't know, just kind of stupid. Like, I know that they were, that her and her partner... Her husband were, you know, they really liked each other. Right. They were good friends, and right, they were and, companions. Yeah, and you know, like normally, I would have absolutely zero problem with people who have those kinds of relationships right. and who want to get access to, you know, like the tax benefits of marriage sure. or whatever kind of benefits they can get, you know, uh -huh. at that relationship. Like, go for it. I don't, I don't think of marriage is some sacred institution, but I don't know. It just seems like. It just seems like she was so judgmental of what other women did, and I think that she was just kind of hypocritical. My understanding of her, and I, you know, I haven't really read much of her material. I've just read. I remember, I remember her dying a few years ago, and I read very extensive eulogies and memoirs about her. And my understanding is is that um, she was a deeply troubled person with a yeah. lot of. Uh, a lot of emotional issues. So yeah, she was incredibly fucked Obviously, up. that doesn't disturb, that, that doesn't excuse hypocrisy or, you know, being shitty to people, but um, I think it definitely explains a lot of it. It definitely explains yeah. a lot of, like, the, the, um, the vigor with which she would... Uh, it just it makes me upset to think that, like, that was a driving force behind a lot of feminist thinking, you know? It was, like, was basically like hateful, deluded, 
disordered thinking about all of this stuff. Like, she wasn't a healthy person. You know, she, and a lot of her feminist theory, you know, she, like, she lashes out at attractive women. You know, like, and she was, you know, she was a fairly heavy woman. She was not conventionally attractive. Um, and I mean, she kind of went out of her way to not be conventionally attractive. Um, but like, she just, she, everything that I read of hers just struck me as incredibly bitter and incredibly mean-spirited and, yeah, kind of like fucked up. And, you know, I feel for her because she obviously wasn't very happy. But it makes me really upset that, that, that she is still like a, a, a mainstay figure in modern feminism. And I'm just like, I just, I think that, I think that that kind of pettiness and that kind of inability to see beyond your own situation is what feminism really needs to get beyond. And I think that, that kind of stuff has really held feminism back. I mean, it's the whole, like, I mean, going back for a second time to the slut walk conversation, it's like, well, this is my position, like, you know, so I can't understand why anybody else would feel differently or have a different experience or anything else. It's like, I just think, I think there's a lot of that in feminism now, and there's a lot of social progressive movements now, and, yeah, it just makes me sad when, like, people can't get out of their own personal situation yeah. for the good of a movement or for the good of other people or whatever. And like everybody does it. You know, I do it. Yeah, exactly. It's not like it's not like anybody can be perfect, but it seems like it's sometimes I guess I feel like some activist movements and I think feminism is maybe just more susceptible to this kind of thing than some others are just so I don't know, so eager to, you know, really Accept people, accept people's feelings as they are, and really validate, you know, feelings and emotions and things like that. And so, which is difficult to do and maintain, like a kind of more rational, skeptical, like side as well. So, I mean, I acknowledge the complexities and I acknowledge the difficulties, but it still just does make me sad that. This uh, man who looks like a British professor is jaywalking across very crowded rush hour traffic on Columbus. I was very worried that his tweed jacket itself would be knocked down. That's sad. Oh, he's headed to Specs. Good. He's going to go get his drink on. But yeah, I was saying that we should uh, commission a dispatch from the lovely Jessica. Yes. Also yes, known yes. as your sister. Yes, my sister. And I believe she is uh, of the lesbian nationality. Is this true? Yeah, she was adopted. <laughs> so yes, she wasn't I, really. I would like her. Uh, I would. I would be interested to hear the lesbian point of view on this fake lesbian scandal. I think I was supposed to ask her about that already and I forgot. Oh, um, but I will. I, I talk to her a lot now. So. Um, oh, good. Yes. It's good to talk to your sister a lot. I know. You should. I don't talk to my family enough. I'm a bad family. <laughs> well, uh, your sister is very cool, as is your brother. That's true. They are. They're pretty cool. You know what makes them so cool? That they they've both been on the Cosmopolitan Hour. That's true. And also that they're both lesbians. Yes. Including your brother. Yeah. <laughs> My brother's a lesbian. <laughs> He'll be thrilled to listen to this episode. With his sure. lesbian partner. His lesbian partner. <laughs> He's also a lesbian. 
another week to talk about football or uh, soccer as uh, whatever you might call it the game that's played with a feet and a round ball uh, you know I think it should be called football because it's uh, fairly obvious what you're getting into when you say the word football and there's no there's no pretense of uh, hearing the word football and then you know you see some dude throwing a you know an almond around with his hands or something and you know it's a little less deceptive I think but you know that's it's just me. Anyway, it, it might be weird to talk about football on a podcast, especially for a podcast that's not to do with sports or, you know, football or anything like that. It's like, why, why would you guys care? Um, but I hope, like, you know, there's, there, there's been some, some choice audio moments um, in football recently, too. There have been some choice visual moments, which I wish I could show you guys, too. There was recently a player who celebrated a goal uh, by putting on a mask of his own face. This is a young up-and-coming star who's been told since the age of six that he's the greatest thing ever uh, ever put on God's earth. And uh, he put he put on a mask of his own face to celebrate a goal, which was a very strange sight. He also did get sent off for it, um, which might bring him down a notch or two. Uh, another player recently was found to have a stra- rather strange-looking tattoo of a child on his, on his, on his uh, forearm. Um... And people asked him why he had a you know picture of a child. He didn't have he didn't have any children himself. I don't think he has any siblings or anything. Um, they were thinking you know is this some family member of yours? Is this you know is this a your cousin, your nephew, your 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 niece or something like that? And he's like no 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 this is me. And it turns out that he actually has a tattoo of himself as a one year old uh, with a football. And the reason he has this uh, this tattoo is because. Uh, he, he told the press that this is one year old when I was one. That was the age that I realized that I was going to be the greatest professional footballer of all time. So, yeah, uh, v- very strange men inhabit this world. Um, I'm sure some very strange women too. There's, there's a few, few, few um, audio clips I'd like to play for you guys. So the first clip involves a club called uh, in England called Newcastle United from the city of Newcastle um, up in the northeast of England. This is taken at a time a couple of years ago when they had a very very bad period in their in their um, football club's history. They just you know had a really terrible management. They had a, an owner that was uh, you know blowing all the money, like um, spending money on ridiculous things. He renamed um, he renamed their stadium from St James's Park into at Newcastle United or some some Twitter um, hashtag kind of thing. So the, the, the club's stadium is now named after a tri- uh, Twitter hashtag. So And the club was right right at the bottom of the league and they, they were about to be relegated. Um, so this was at a time in this history and the, this guy brought in this new manager to, to sort of help stem the tide. Tabloid journalists had the barbs out. They were like making all kinds of... I mean, they love to make fan of, uh, fun of Newcastle fans. Um, for being, you know, fat, white, white working class men with no jobs and they just, you know, they're a bunch of louts and they get drunk at the things and they're just fanatical, like all this stuff. Um, so they had a field day when the team was not doing well and these fans were going, you know, a bit, bit, bit crazy. Um, so the new manager was announced and his name was Joe Kinnear. So Joe Kinnear was introduced as the new manager. Joe Kinnear comes in and has a press conference in the midst of all this tabloid scrutiny. So all these tabloid newspaper journalists are sitting at this press conference, you know, rubbing their hands with glee, being like, ooh, we're going to lay into this guy today. So Joe Kinnear starts his press conference, and this is how it goes. Who's the front Simon Boo? Boo? Yeah. Okay, so we'll see your face. Yeah. All right. Okay. Niall, Niall Hickman. Speaker. 
fucking out of order. Absolute fucking out of order. You are. And if you do it again, tell you now, fuck off and go to another ground. I will not come and stand for that fucking crap. And that's fucking life. No, the fact that you're fucking saying they, that I turned up and they, and they fucked off. I you're trying, you're trying to fuck, I fucking read it. I fucking read it. It doesn't say that. I read it. It doesn't say that. You're fucking you trying to undermine my position already. No, no, you, you read it. It doesn't say that. I knew you knew. Fuck off. I knew you knew. Your last fucking chance. Your last fucking oh, chance. Right. No, 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 I'm telling you. No, your last because you read that in the way I fucking read it. Hey, oh, that looks good headline. That's a good headline. You read the copy. In case you didn't hear the first part of that or uh, didn't get uh, what Joe Kinnear was saying through his thick accent, um, the, the transcript goes something like, Which one is Simon Bird? Me. You're a cunt. Thank you. Which one's Niall Hickman? Daily Express. You're out of order. Absolutely fucking out of order. And if you do it again, I'm telling you, you can fuck off and go to another ground. I'll not come and stand for that fucking crap. No fucking way. Lies. Fuck, you're saying I turned up and they fuck off. Fuck you. My favourite part of that press conference is when um, they're giving Joe Kinnear shit for giving the uh, the players a day off. And he said, no, I was working that day. I was, you know, I was meeting the boarder and the manager. And I said, well, well, why didn't you set that meeting like some other day? And he said, well, because I had to do this. I had to do this. I said, and who the fuck are you? My fucking personal secretary? Fuck off. Another interesting clip that I'd like to play for you is about a footballer called Peter Crouch. Uh, Crouch is known as a very, he's a very tall man. He's about six foot seven or so. He's, and he's a very skinny looking man. Um... My best story about Peter Crouch that, and my personal experience was uh, when I was watching a, uh, an England match at the World Cup in 2006, I believe, um, in a pub. Um, and it was a packed pub, and there was this huge guy like, who looked, you know, very this sort of army-looking dude, like, sitting there. And he was just, uh, he was just sitting by himself in the corner watching this, um, this thing. He wouldn't say anything. The crowd was kind of loud, and everything was going nuts. And... Um, he was just sitting by himself in his corner drinking, just been watching the match quietly. But every time Crouch touched the ball, he would say, Look at him! Look at him! He looks like a fucking puppet! Looks like a fucking marionette! Fucking puppet! But, and he wouldn't... And every time Crouch had the ball, and for the duration that Crouch had the ball, he didn't want Crouch passed, he would just shut up. Um, it was a very strange thing, but he's you know, he calling him, oh, Fucking puppet! Fucking marionette! Oh, ooh, look at his gangly little arms! Oh, look Anyway, so uh, this story about Crouch is equally as strange. Um, it comes from the Guardian Football Podcast, which, um, if you're interested in football at all, I'd obviously recommend to, uh, to listen to it. Even if you're not interested, they actually have uh, a lot of listeners who don't really know much about football, but um, tune in because the, the presenters are hilarious, especially um, Barry Glendenning, who is a football journalist from Ireland um, who lives in, in, in the UK, and Sean Ingle, um, who is the uh, who is an, an English football journalist? Um, they're both hilarious guys. Both featured on this clip here, um, which I will play for you right now. The, the clip involves Peter Crouch and a funny story about Crouch and some very tasty food. Well, I think Crouch isn't you know is, a, is not a nice piece of work, and everyone sort of loved him about a year and a half ago when he did this silly robot dance. But you know, I, I've got a friend uh, of mine, Andy Bull, who works on the desk, whose whose mate works at a fast food place in, in Southampton. And Crouch, right. Crouch to give he's you well example, connected. Yeah. Well, Crouchy came in one day when he was at Southampton, 
and demanded some nachos. He said, okay, fine, gave him some nachos. And then Crouchy said, you do know I'm not going to pay for them. And, you know, this guy's on you know, minimum wage, didn't really care. So he, get, he handed over the nachos and then Crouchy started eating them one after another. And every time he'd say, Crouchy's having his nachos over and over and over again. <laughs> And everyone was just looking at him in silence. But that's the sort of behaviour you expect from footballers. No, it isn't. I I didn't expect that behaviour from anyone. Crouchy's having his nachos. Crouchy's having his nachos. It's become a very big uh, meme, I guess, among football fans. Uh, You can... uh... Whenever you have uh, England or, or, or uh, Peter Crouch's team Tottenham playing, you just uh, see him like, Crouch is having his nachos. The other thing about Crouch, as they mentioned a little bit on the clip, you never see it, but they, he does a robot dance. He used to do this really shit robot dance um, when, he, when he scored. Um, and it's just, it's the, the sight of this extremely gangly six foot seven man trying to do the robot um, was, was, was one of the funniest things. And again, one of the visual clips I wish I could show you. Perhaps I'll be back in the future with a. Um, some more audio clips of various facets of our world um, and society and um, structure that we live in on this mortal coil. And uh, perhaps I'll also be back with some funny stories of my own. Um, in the meantime, uh, this is Pranjal and, and uh, those were your funny stories. Pranjal's Funny Stories. Pants on. I like it. I do. I can tell by the, the subtle stripes. Yes, my brain lives in my butt. <laughs> uh, so, um, this is probably the end of episode 66. Yeah. And we're sorry we're tired. Yeah, we're cranky old women. Yes. I'm, uh, for some reason, the phrase crotchety old hag entered my mind yesterday. And I was like, that's. If that's not what I am now, it's what I certainly aspire to be. <coughs> crotchety old hag. I certainly have the cough of a crotchety old hag. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I kind of have it too. Good. Well, um, until next time, we'll be coughing up loogies for you. Cough yep. up some loogies for us. Pour out some loogies on the sidewalk for your dead homies. Right. Stay lesbian. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed.